Welcome to Garage Conversation with Char, or GCC for short. My name is Charlene Brisbane, and you are about to listen to a podcast in the second series. The intent of the discussion remains as it was from the start, to inform, engage, and inspire. My daughter Shelby continues to come along for the ride as my producer and sort of co-host. However, she gave up editing somewhere in the first series to Christine, a professional editor. Yes, most of the podcasts continue to be recorded in my garage, weather permitting, or my guest's ability to travel. If you have listened previously, I appreciate your continued support. If this is your first podcast, thanks for giving it a try. Okay, good morning, Shelby. Good morning, Mom. Okay, so we're drinking our iced coffees today from Whole Foods. Yeah, I don't know how much longer they're going to have them, which makes me very sad. But I went on and used my, you know, investigation skills and found the exact ingredients that they use at Whole Foods and ordered them so I can make it at home. Yeah, they definitely use, I noticed, the espresso espresso machine. Well, this is actually, this is a cold brew, but they have like a specific like chocolate powder that they use and a specific like hazelnut. Mm-hmm. spread or whatever and because i'm very type a and want things to be exact i figured that out and then i ordered it myself because i have my espresso machine which i adore even though i'm really not supposed to be drinking caffeine right now or alcohol but i basically have i told my mom yesterday like i'm just gonna start because i'm i'm doing my yoga cert certif- certification training or yoga teacher training mm-hmm. And really in yogic philosophy, you're not supposed to drink caffeine and alcohol while you're doing your training. So I'm like, I'm just going to start after we come home from Paris because we're going to Paris. I'm going to drink wine and I'm going to drink coffee. Like I'm just going to. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're on vacation and we'll, we'll be doing, that'll actually be our podcast of the first series. So that'll be cool. And um, hopefully we'll take lots of pictures. I think, are you still doing some kind of blog or something? Because I, Crystal, wanted to like us to send her stuff like every day. So I was hoping you could manage that. Peter, we'll have to catch up and my mom will get into introducing you and everything about all of the random things that I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) But yes and no, kind of. Okay. I'm really bad with, with social media and promoting myself and all my various different things, which I need to get better at. I, I literally tell Christian, I'm like, I will pay you to do run my social media for me because I hate it so much. It doesn't take me seriously, but I'm like, no, literally, I will give you money to do this for me. So maybe I can convince him eventually to to take that over for me because that is definitely one of the things that I'm struggling with because with all my various different things that I do, I know that I can do them and that I'm good at them. And the feedback that I've received has been very positive. It's just like, you know, getting your, myself more out there. Yeah. So to wider audience, which to do that, I have to be more active on social media, which I very much uh, dislike. So You might be able to go to Fiverr, though, and see if there's someone who would do that for you. Just as an option. But like, why should I do that when I have a boyfriend? Well, you that's know? true. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. You guys do work well together. Well, I'm having the dark chocolate mocha cold brew. So that's what I'm having. Mine is a little bit different than Shelby's, but 
So as we always do, we get our self-reference and our guest breakfast. So I really probably should get into introducing the podcast at this point. I mean, point. we've been like talking about random things for like 30 minutes before this. So what's yeah. the difference now? I know, but we haven't seen Peter in a long time. That's why. So this podcast is something that is really, I would say, part of my heart because I know the importance of it. And I think, you know, as a parent and parents wanting to really protect their children, there is something that we always have to be mindful. We want our children to be resilient. And the only way they can learn to be resilient is if we, you know, give them an opportunity to grow. And that can be hard for parents because we never want our kids to get hurt or anything happen to them. But, you know, in order for them to be resilient, they have to go through things. So I thought this would be a good topic to talk about. And I think it comes into the whole mental health thing. And, you know, there's been stigmas around mental health, but I really believe today people do understand that, you know, it's just like any other kind of disease that you have to work through. And you see more of it talked about today and more children are going through like anxiety and depression and even some post-traumatic type of stresses. So I really wanted to take some time to sort of discuss this resiliency, I'm going to have tongue-tied today, issue when it comes to children. And a while ago, and these are some old books that I read some time ago, sort of focused on this topic. And one was called Freeing Your Child from Anxiety. I'll put all these in the link on our website and in the, in the podcast links. And there was one about why gender matters and good influences. But, you know, someone who has really become, you know, like an uncle, a part of the family <laughs> is uh, Peter. And we have Peter with us today. He's an experienced psychologist who's worked with children and he's helped us in our family. So I'm, I'm really happy to, to have him here to talk about his topic. Of course, we have this disclaimer. He doesn't know your child, so you can't just like randomly take what we're talking about and say it's, you know, it's going to be the end all. But just to help everyone, you know, if you have children, you're thinking about children, to think about this topic of resiliency. Also, I just have the button here and say like, listen, and I'm very open about like my mental health journey. I've been through a lot of stuff, which of course, both my mother and Peter understand more than, than most people. So I might be on like a little bit further on the scale of, you know, just struggling with anxiety sometimes to like, oof, there's some stuff that we have to, mm. you know, go through. So again, like my story, of course, is, is different. Like you said, mom, then yeah, of course, you know, everyone else's. And everyone, you know, has gone through, you know, crap and stuff, but. Yeah. And it's like, how do you allow your child to bounce back from these things? And I'm going to share a story. And I always tease Shelby about this, about the snow shovel story. Oh, (laughs) and this is to me is a good story that like I could have as a parent never let Shelby go out again, but I did allow it. She and I was watching the kids. So it was her little best friend at the time in the neighborhood and my cousin's daughter, who, of course, they call me aunt because she's like a kid and Shelby and it, Shelby loved the snow. They loved the snow. And in our cul-de-sac at the time, they would have a humongous pile of snow. So they would go and play and, you know, 
living in a cul-de-sac. You know, I didn't look out the window every minute. I let them play. Also, like you were, we were further down the street, so right. <laughs> you couldn't see us anyway. Right. So they were playing in this big hill and somehow there was a shovel and it hit Shelby across her eyebrow. And I'm so thankful that she had on her, she wears glasses. <laughs> oh yeah. The doctor was like, oh yeah, you could definitely could have lost your eye. Yeah. I was like, okay, cool. Well, I'm glad I didn't. Right. So I, I give Ashley and Lisa, they were so calm. They brought Shelby in. Shelby hit her eye and Shelby was screaming, but she calmed down. We went to the ER. She got stitches. I don't remember what happened. Like <laughs> Genuinely. I just remember the hill of snow. And then I remember one of my friends, my, my best friend at the time, Lisa. So there was like a moment where there was nothing. And then I see her and she goes, are you okay? <laughs> and I said, no. And then we, we went back to the house. So right, yeah, right. That, I don't know what happened. Yeah. And, and, you know, we went to the emergency room. So I had Lisa and Ashley and Shelby and they're all around the same age. I think they were like seven or eight. I don't know. And the doctor was like, oh, they're so good. And they were asking questions and nonetheless. So I bring this up about you know, Again, letting your chil children experience things. So then I could have said, oh, I'm never going to let Shelby go out and play anymore. And I have to watch her every move. But, you know, I realized that accidents happen and kids are going to be okay. And I'm not a horrible mom. And now so I, have a, I have a cool like scar over my eyebrow, which it's, <laughs> it's funny because I, I, one of my old coworkers, she actually went in with like a little bit of a razor to like shave part of her eyebrow because that is a look. Um, and I was like, I don't have to do any work. I just have that look because, you know, so. Yeah. So it's fine now. I, I dig it. Right. Right. So all this is an introduction to Peter and I'm going to let Peter tell, uh, tell us a little bit about himself and, you know, whatever he feels comfortable sharing as we had our long banter this <laughs> <laughs> this morning. Okay, I'm very happy to uh, join the two of you. Um, so, a little bit about myself. I'm Peter Kappa. Um, I have. I am a, a social worker and a family therapist. And I have my entire adult life been working in this field. Mm -hmm. I finished my education in the UK and came to the US um, and worked with kids in foster care. And then I moved over to work in a hospital, like a psychiatric hospital for kids and young people. And, you know, for a while went back to London and, you know, worked there, but then came back and have been here ever since working in public agencies, working in medical settings, hospitals. And then I had like a 30 years I worked in a small private school for complex high school kids. Uh, there's some kids in this world who are just fragile and need a different approach. And I was very happy to be part of a community that nurtured these kids and you know, enable them to flourish. So that's the kind of professional side of me. I mean, I, I've been interested in resilience my whole life, mm -hmm. uh, somewhat out of necessity. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in Manchester in the north of England and, you know, had pretty much a kind of hard scrabble 
childhood and adolescence. You know, in a very resourceful world in the 1960s, mm. there was lots of wonderful music and there were clubs and the, the and, and there was a great. I, my parents were trusted me, but also too preoccupied with their own issues to kind of lock me up very much. So I had a lot of freedom. So did you go to a Beatles concert? I have to ask oh, you that, sure. Peter. No, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> we're the Beatles fans. Yeah, yeah. That's right. the, the Beatles were from Liverpool, which yeah. is 30 miles from where I grew up. <laughs> like the, the, I mean, people like uh, Graham Nash, you know, uh -huh. he, he was from my hometown. Wow. Um, and the, you know, I spent a good part of my adolescence going to concerts and clubs mm -hmm. and there were great clubs for, for teenagers, you know, they didn't have any mm. um, alcohol on the premises. Mm. It was a place where kids would go mm. and listen to music um, cool. and, you know, a, a great deal of which was American music. Mm -hmm. So I had this kind of twin trajectory of being like responsible student working hard doing well in school but then mm -hmm. when school was over I would go and mm -hmm. and live in this funky creative musical world mm -hmm. and you know I uh, have have followed that through my whole life mm -hmm. I mean I ended up uh, I got a history degree from Cambridge which was a very kind of hostile place for me to be it's very mm -hmm. privileged and uh, you know, I, w I was uh, a, a, an anxious and, you know, insecure mm -hmm. boy from, you know, not, not a great background. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was very intimidating, but it ended up being like a really wonderful place to be also. Mm -hmm. I made some lifelong friends. And uh, the, the uh, and it was while I was there that I decided I wanted to become a social worker. Okay. So I then worked for a number of years in a big public agency in the East End of London. Mm -hmm. You know, with all kinds of problems and mm -hmm. all kinds of people, um, you know, ranging, you know, in terms of ethnicity, very, very diverse. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, the whole, the whole range of problems, which was a great learning experience for you know the real world mm -hmm. and uh, you know I came here not thinking I would remain in the US I mean I came for an adventure and mm -hmm. met my wife and you know stayed for another year and we lived in London again and came back. So your wife is from the US? Yeah yeah she's okay. from, from this area. Okay okay. So, so you know we wanted to live in one another's countries and uh, understand our own cultural background so that we could make a better decision about being together. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, in later years, you know, I, I have a, an office close by, mm -hmm. I work with families and young people and couples mm -hmm. and individual adults. And mm -hmm. I've spent my whole lifetime puzzling about this issue of resilience. Right. Uh, like, how come some kids have resilience and, you know, bad things can happen and they can kind of bounce back and keep on going? And then there are other people who have challenges and they just don't have the wherewithal to be able to 
bounce back and become stronger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think often when young people or even adults are not able to progress from difficulties, they come and see people like social workers and psychologists. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the goal is to figure out how to help them develop greater resilience. Mm-hmm. One thing I want to say as a beginning to this, yeah. like the, the, I was privileged to work on a research pro- protocol, uh, which was looking at families of Holocaust survivors. Oh, wow. And the, you know, many Holocaust survivor families have gone on to have very diff- big, difficult problems, mm-hmm. you know, mental health problems and you know, guilt, survivor guilt, mm-hmm. like the, the, and this particular project was looking at the families that came through the, the most terrible level of suffering mm-hmm. and were able to have happy families and mm-hmm. healthy families and, you know, were the resilient ones. And mm-hmm. um, so the, the research study was looking at like what were the characteristics of the resilient, the resilient families? Um, so was this was it um, turned into a paper? Peter? Yeah, we'll be it, able to find it. Oh, I think. sure. It's a paper. It was a book. It was a book. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I can give you the name. The name. Yeah. The, the name of you know one book which is like a textbook, mm-hmm. and then there's another book which I wrote a chapter in. Okay, great. Um, you know, which talked about my reaction to some to one particular family story and mm-hmm. how it impacted me. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the conclusions from the study was that when people had a strong foundation, when they felt loved mm-hmm. at some point, you know, way back in their childhood or, mm-hmm. you know, that, that was something that they could go back to in the face of terrible suffering, mm-hmm. terrible you know, of being experimented on, of being mm-hmm. left for dead, you know, on a pile of corpses, like awful, terrible things. Mm-hmm. But the, 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 so in a way, one of the most important things that we can do for our children is to love them, mm-hmm. is to have them feel like no matter what, we're there for them, the life is going to have a continuity and mm-hmm. you can o- you can overcome and and hark back to the loving memories you have from mm-hmm. early, early, early in your, in your childhood. So that I think the resilience I think is it's something that is like built on little building blocks of support and encouragement and teaching that kind of build, build over time mm-hmm. and end up with someone who can withstand the challenges of the world. Mm-hmm. And that the and we're in a very difficult, challenging, frightening world. Mm-hmm. You know, where there's no knowing what is going to happen in the future. So that the we we need to be raising resilient people who can survive and be flexible mm-hmm. and react to changing circumstances and keep on going. Yeah. And that be, in a way, the American story of people coming from, you know, 
a background of all kinds of difficulties, mm. you know, and then come in here and build, trying to build a more positive, hopeful world. Um, so I guess what I want to say about these building blocks is that they, I absolutely agree with what you were saying in your introduction, mm -hmm. like the being too protective mm -hmm. is not a helpful thing. Mm -hmm. Like the, I mean, you want to be protective enough. Right. Depends on your child's age. Yeah. It depends on where they are in their development. Mm -hmm. It also depends on their temperament. Right. I mean, I think that, you know, my experience doing clinical work with kids and families all these years, there are some people who are just more fragile. I mean, I, I do believe that there's a kind of genetic aspect to some, uh, some mental health where, you know, people might have a great, greater tendency to being anxious or mm. being depressed, and it's kind of built in. Mm. And parents need to be sensitive to who their child is and what they need in order to, to get to be stronger and able to stand on, the, on their own feet. Yeah. yeah. As I was thinking, there's definitely, I think people have to understand there's a genetic component. There also could be chemical components to sure, it. Sure, yeah. That some people need to take certain medications to help keep things in check around that. Uh -huh. <laughs> Peter looked over to me. I, <laughs> I am one of those people. And it's, you know, like, I think actually I've been pretty, I don't want to say lucky, but my experience with like trying different medications, I know that I've talked to some people like friends and they're like, oh, I've just, you know, I've been trying things and nothing has been working or like, really bad side effects. I pretty much found like really what worked for me fairly quickly and it's been fairly consistent. So, you know, I guess that it is, there's a trial and error aspect to it, mm -hmm. but also like for me. Now I have what really works and for me to feel like, I guess myself and to feel that stability for a major part of my life. And I, you know, and that's fine with yeah. me. Mental health is as powerful and as real as physical illness. Mm, yes. And that the, the, and on some level that's been the story of my life of mm. like the, the, the English tend to not talk about problems, mm -hmm. tend to, you know, stiff up a lip, kind of push through it, suffer in silence. And the, so there was no culture of, of people seeking help, mm -hmm. you know, going for counseling when I was a teenager. Yeah. And that the, the end, you know, I, I came from a family that was, you know, in, in some ways, very gifted, you know, in terms of what we all did. But we were also like a bunch of like mentally ill people, mm -hmm. really. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of mental Ill illness stuff in my family. I had an aunt who killed herself. Mm -hmm. My sister killed herself. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my brother died of, you know, addiction, really. Mm -hmm. um, so, I guess one of the things, one of the flags I've been carrying through my life is, is about if you take seriously your, your mental health issues and approach it in the same way you would any other illness, mm -hmm. you can get familiar with it, you can work around it, um, 
it doesn't need to be too limiting, mm-hmm. but it's about accepting who, who you are and planning accordingly. Yeah, um, yeah. I know um, I saw a very interesting video on my job. We happened to make a drug for schizophrenia. And it was very powerful to me because these patients or, or these people who have their, you know, uh, this under control expressed how it is when they don't take their medicine. And, you know, it's very scary. Like, you know, one person said, it feels like things are crawling all over me. One person said, you know, I ran outside with no clothes on, but I know that I have to take my medicine and that gives me, you know, control. And also, I think as parents, you know, to it's hard to think, Okay, well, my child has to take this or that or I want to protect them from these kind of things. But what I always felt like I want to make sure that my child has a toolbox Mm -hmm. because I'm not going to always be around. That's right. So they can really take charge of their physical and mental health. And of course, I want to be sort of that straight line. And I, I just love this analogy. It was someone at Shelby's school. We had a talk. They talked that like a sound wave goes up and down. But as a parent, you sort of want to be that straight line. Mm. So I think those are the kind of things that help children to be more resilient. If you can help them to grow their toolbox. So mm. I'm like, I feel really good that Shelby has her toolbox together. And, and well, I'm a couple things. One that I want to say before I forget to say it, and I I probably have mentioned this on this podcast before, Mom, but I definitely will give you major props and I like, you know, brag about you all the time because, you know, as someone who's, for example, a part of like the queer community and someone who is fairly alternative and someone who, you know, is an artist and who is maybe quote unquote more radical than your typical like 24-year-old, yeah, I always um, say my daughter's radical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's fine. It's pretty punk rock and, you know, I'll, I'll take it. But you, mom, are very much concerned with, if you don't understand something, looking into it and then like being able, you have the capacity, which not a lot of parents do, I find, especially in certain pockets and certain communities to like be able to be like, oh, yes, I learned something new. And like you can acknowledge that. You know, I can speak, you know, from the LGBTQ perspective. A lot of kids, they don't, their parents kick them out. Their parents, you know, are like, well, you're not my child anymore. And I've never have felt, I never felt that way with you. Even when I like was first came out to you, I never had the fear. I knew that it might be a like conversation that we would have, Mm -hmm. but I never had the fear that you were going to be like, well, you can't stay here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like never. Right. So uh, this idea of the straight line, I feel, and again, I just have to give you your props, proper props, mom. And I think a lot of people in our family were very, like even my grandparents, like if you didn't have a place to stay, you could stay at my grandparents' house. So I really do like that kind of, you know, analogy of the straight line, because I feel like me personally, I can be very like, you are a sound wave. Yeah, jacket. <laughs> but uh, you know, it, and it's not just that, like, you know, we don't talk about things and you aren't opinionated and you don't have your own thoughts and whatever, mm-hmm. but it's also like, we can have those conversations. So I just, uh, and I think that's an experience that unfortunately not every child has. Yeah. I think those conversations are really important. And 
to go back to what Peter was saying, you know, sharing about your family. I think in the African-American community in general, there's sort of this whole thing about mental health, although I think it's changing slowly. That whole thing, you know, as you said, stiff upper lip or, oh, she's just crazy, but, you know, we're not going to address that. Maybe, you know, you need to get, she needs to probably get some help. We can all use help at some point in our life and someone to talk to. I also wanted to mention, like, Peter, you you said something specifically about, like, knowing, like, completely understanding, like, kind of what you're going through and that way you can better, like, understand yourself and also be able to kind of exist. (laughs) It's not just, like, a medication thing, like, and I'm sure Christian will be fine with me, you know, talking about this because, again, we're very open, but, like, he's spoken to me about, like, BP, but medicine is something that doesn't, like work for him that we have a very like very strong understanding of each other in like when our both highs and lows happen and like how to support each other and what we both need in those circumstances however i do have friends who you know partners have bp and medication is very oh bipolar sorry i'm probably gonna have to put that and then but you explain it um that's super important for for them and actually a friend who I will keep, you know, anonymous just because, you know, but, you know, they were saying how it was a kind of a point of contention and like there was a shame associated with medication, Mm -hmm. but eventually their partner realized like, it's just something that is like in my toolbox and that helps me. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing like wrong with, with having that. So it just, you know, everyone's kind of different. And as long as you really understand what you need. And also I feel like having a support system, a very strong support system is helpful as well. Yeah. And then some people aren't as fortunate like about that. I mean, so it's being resilient. Is it something you can learn to have, Peter? I mean, you know, because it seems like you mentioned that people are different. Some are more sensitive. Some are, I don't know what the right word would be, um, not as um, resilient as others, but we all need some level of resilience because life happens. It's yeah. not always happy. <laughs> there, there is a well-known mindfulness meditation teacher mm-hmm. called Tara Brack, mm-hmm. who has all kinds of uh, videos and podcasts, mm-hmm. and that the and she said it's not survival of the fittest, it's survival of the nurtured. So people who are really nurtured and loved and have that solid foundation, they're the ones who, you know, will have the resources to be able to carry on. Mm-hmm. And that the, the and yeah, of course you can become more resilient mm-hmm. if you're open to asking for help if you need that really working hard to understand what the problem is. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think something that I've become very clear about is that we all have different learning profiles mm-hmm. and that the, the different capacities to learn and that the and if you can understand what your learning profile is, you can then, you know, really make the most of what you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I'm t- I've been talking so far about like internal things, yeah. like learning things, mm-hmm. like mental illness things, like biochemistry. But I think 
another hugely important thing that pulls on people needing to be resilient is that the there is a great deal of, of like awful things that happen to people. Yeah. You know, we live in a, a culture with tremendous, tremendous trauma, you know, like you know, as, you, uh, uh, as the two of you know so well, mm. really awful things can happen. Yeah. And where you're pushed to the edge of being able to keep on going. Mm. Um, but you can come through it. Mm-hmm. You can absolutely come through it. And that the, the, you know, people with trauma, if, if they don't find a way of being able to like move on and carry on building a life in spite of the bad things that might have happened. Um, you know, you can get some treatment for that so that you don't carry it with you forever. Right. Um, so that you do need to have an openness to mm-hmm. doing that. I mean, there's yeah. also like a, a wonderful kind of self-help world mm-hmm. out there. I mean, I think the, like the internet and like the, the idea that the, anything that you want to know about, if you've got access to the internet, you can Google it, you can find all kinds of resources that help with a specific problem, you know, but also, you know, there's lots of resources about how to help you become, your child become more resilient. Mm-hmm. Lots and lots of wonderful resources, but you have to reach out of the narrow, rigid framework that you're dealing with mm. and be able to see that you can find an, an alternate path. And everybody's resilience is, is individual. Right. You know, it's like building around who you are, Shelby. I mean, it sounds like from what you're saying, your mom has been like a wonderful foundation for you mm-hmm. in accepting you no matter you know, who, who you decide yourself to be and giving you that sense that you will endure and you'll, you'll have your mother's love and approval even if you're a, a little different from who she is. Yeah. And that's not to say that my mind, <laughs> that we agree on everything because no, we don't, we don't. <laughs> um, but it's still like, you know, I, I never feel like I can't talk to my mom about whatever, probably yeah. talk to her about more things. And she's like, I don't want to, <laughs> I was like too much information, too much information. <laughs> but I'm um, like, no, yeah, I'm saying that in my head, but I don't say that to uh, show. <laughs> but it's funny. And as, as a writer and a creative, also a, a big nerd i'm telling my mom i'm planning i'm in the planning process of um running my own dungeons and dragons campaign and it's really interesting and both like my my fiction writing as far as like novels and and different story ideas and things like that as well as i'm realizing in this dungeons and dragons campaign that i'm running like the major antagonists or villains this idea of like Peter, as you were talking about, like being this openness to like understanding like things happen, but like I can get help for these things. I feel like it's a big part of it's a one of the biggest character flaws that I find, and you know, a lot of the antagonists in my stories are these people that definitely you know they're people, but they aren't, and so they have that ability to you know evolve. Mm-hmm. but there's this lack of openness it's kind of like you know everybody goes through you know crap but like not everybody like 
goes to such extremes yeah. you know so kind of there's a s- certain point where like you can't use mental illness as like this this crutch to be like oh well just because there's actually a youtuber now that i'm thinking of there's a lot of drama going on with her and she's like well i just have adhd so that means i that's why i acted in that way and it's like you're just a mean person like <laughs> you just just because you have adhd doesn't mean that you can treat people however you want to treat people so it's not using it you shouldn't be using mental illness as an excuse for bad behavior yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. and you know mental health is it, it's been shaped by the society that we live in. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a, it's an industry. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, with drug companies pushing drugs, mm-hmm. you know, with mental health professionals, um, you know, pushing this kind of diagnosis world where mm-hmm. everybody's got a problem. And I think the, on some level, it's good to kind of, feel free to kind of challenge that mm-hmm. and think about how to help people use what they have in their own lives, mm-hmm. um, you know, both internally and in, the, in their families, but also like supplement with support groups and, mm-hmm. you know, activities that can make a difference mm-hmm. in how you feel mm-hmm. on an ongoing level. Um, Mm-hmm. I mean, I've been very struck, like, through COVID, oh, my goodness, like, the the 17th of March, 2020, mm-hmm. I left my office, and I didn't go back there until about a month ago. Wow. Because of COVID, like, mm-hmm. the, you know, our county, like, shut down, mm-hmm. you know, all direct contact with people, and I spent a year and a half, really, glued to my computer screen doing virtual therapy, which was agonizing. Yeah. Because the, I mean, a a lot of people who I talk with are young people, like children, Mm -hmm. teenagers, college-age kids, Mm -hmm. people in their 20s. And the the, the, to go from, you know, sitting in a room with someone and and being able to feel the vibe they put out and how they dress and how they Mm -hmm. move their bodies and, and, you know, just to be able to have that sense of closeness Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and connection to having the flatness of a computer screen. Um, I've certainly spent a lot of time in this last period of, 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 of months talking with kids who hated virtual school who couldn't focus on it. Yeah. Um, on some level, were completely turned off. And where, you know, often there was no connection going. I mean, kids would lo- log on, would, you know, get credit for being on- online. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as they were online, they would, like, not have their face show. Mm-hmm. And they'd be, like, texting their friends or mm-hmm. watching movies or, you know, playing yeah. with their dog, whatever. And, uh, the, the, you know, I think a lot of kids have missed mm-hmm. schooling this last year. And, you know, probably will have apprehension about going back to school. Yeah, so I think that was a lead-in to talk about, like, you know, how can we help our children during this getting out of COVID, which I feel like COVID is not going away. Yeah. <laughs> it's not going to, like, it's like, we're not going to go back to normal. There, It's going to be like the normal that we, you know, quote unquote, that we remember. And this has changed kind of our collective 
you know, relationship with, with the world and with each other. But that's, that's the way it is in life, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We can never go back to, you know, like some kind of perfect idea of, of how life is from the past. Mm-hmm. You know, but if you, if you adapt, you know, like kids can go back to school and, yeah. you know, tolerate having a mask. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're going to be seeing their friends and they're going to be sitting in a classroom and they're going to be interacting with their teachers and and it's certainly going to be a whole lot better than it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's every... I, as we're talking about this, it makes me... I, I follow a lot of, like, communities, like, on YouTube that are either, like, fashion historians or, like, they dress... Um, they're very interested in, in antique and um, vintage fashions and everything. And one of the questions that these people get bombarded with is like, well, if you could go back in time, what what period of history do you want to live in or whatever? And everyone's like, I'm good here. Like I'm good right where I am. Cause it's, I feel like sometimes there is this idea like, oh, the past was so much better. And in reality, more often than not, no, it was not. It was not. Yeah, sometimes it just depends who who you are and what you were doing, what you would be doing in that past. But we can all get nostalgic, but, you know. But, yeah, it's like, you know, hey, listen, a lot of people, like, if they're women and they dress in, like, they like really 1950s or 1930s styles, they're like, I'm pretty good being a woman in, like, 2021 instead of, like, 19 or whatever. So it's, I don't know. And maybe it's because I'm like jaded and also very, I, I, I criticize the present and also the past very <laughs> harshly. But yeah, it's just like every moving forward is the only, you can only yeah. move forward, you yeah. know? Yeah. No, I think that I don't want to talk too much about politics, but mm-hmm. like, I think that the a very helpful idea about where we are in our culture is about creating a more perfect union. Yeah. You know, like the, the, there's never been a time where, you know, it's been perfect time in the American civilization. It's an evolving thing that can improve, but also can deteriorate. And that the, you know, it behoves us all to, be informed and be activists and make sure that we're putting our shoulders to the plow and trying to create a, a world that uh, is more inclusive and more um, supporting individuals mm. you know, around their vulnerabilities um, and, and not going back to some fantasy of how things were in the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, you know, I, I have a lot of frustration with the UK, where they've gone back to a sense of glory, the British Empire, the the world wars, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. civilizing the world, like all of this stuff, which is kind of nonsense, really, Mm -hmm. to uh, disconnect from Europe and uh, Mm -hmm. have a belief that they can go it their own and that on some level the British are kind of a chosen people. And... You know, I think on some level, the, the British kind of invented castes. Mm. You know, the caste system in India 
you know, the class system in the UK, mm -hmm. like the slavery, the, you know, the roots of slavery, mm -hmm. you know, and how, um, you know, profoundly racist mm -hmm. the UK has been over time. But, it, you know, it's encouraging that there are, you know, similar kind of public discourse going on in the UK mm -hmm. in line with Black Lives Matter and in line with looking at the impact of systemic racism in the UK. Mm -hmm. And that's really helpful for, mm -hmm. you know, making us all more, more inclusive and having to work on, you know, the in, imperfect kind of uh, brainwashing we, we've got growing up. Mm -hmm. we're, you know, we're all influenced by the media and mm -hmm. by the people around us. So let me say a bit more about COVID. Like, but what has been so interesting mm -hmm. with kids being stuck at home is that there have, there have been some kids who have been able to just accept this is what they have to do and they need to do this work in order to stay current with what they're learning in, in mm. virtual school. Yeah. And, you know, the parents have been very important in this. So it's been a time for some families to get really closer. Yeah, yeah, I've heard a lot together. of that, yeah. And, you know, be playing games more and, like, the, you know, it's been a hidden benefit that, mm -hmm. you know, mom and dad are both working from home and the kids are on virtual school and it allows for, you know, we didn't plan it, but an opportunity to look at what can happen and you know what is interesting i know some kids who have developed solitary activities that they really enjoy that mm -hmm. they wouldn't have done previously mm -hmm. and that the, the so it's not all kids who have had a horrible time yeah the and you know for sure there's going to be kids who are going to be anxious about going back to school mm -hmm. i mean i'm thinking of uh you know Two young ladies I know who have been on paper in high school, but they've never been to the high school. I mean, wow. they, they, yeah. you know, their ninth grade year was they were in virtual school. And mm -hmm. um, so they're going into their sophomore year in high school, never having walked the hallways, never having seen the other kids. Mm -hmm. There's a you know tremendous yeah. apprehension about that, anxiety about that. And where the if you have parents who are too protective, yeah. they might try and take away the necessary challenges in life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. instead of working with the kid to accept that the you know, this is a problem to be solved, a problem to overcome. Like, how can we help our children get more comfortable with the idea of school? And I've just, in the last few weeks, um, I'm hearing kids talk about, like, how am I going to find my classes? I've never been in that building. Like, mm. I forget. And, like, they have a, a sense that everybody else has been progressing and they've been, mm -hmm. you know, over here in this much more restricted way and that the you know it's helpful for them to remember that you know the whole world is kind of trying to get back to normal right and that the the and, you know covid isn't over mm -hmm. you know it might go through some more you know phases before we get to a, a plan talk about an idealistic 
goal to have the whole world be vaccinated. But that's what it's going to take. Yeah. And that the, the, you know, it used to be that uh, people would get smallpox. And, mm-hmm. you know, smallpox is eliminated. I mean, uh, uh, as a child growing up in the UK, I remember leprosy mm. was something I was very aware of. For some reason, I have this very strong memory of a store in my... Vi- I grew up in a little village in North Wales, and there was a picture in a shop window of some children with leprosy. Mm. And that image is like stuck in my head as, you know, a reality back then. But, you know, we don't have leprosy. Like, right. like the science and public health mm-hmm. have the resources to transform the world. We're actually healthier. We live longer. You know, the level of education is, is better. Like the world can get better. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be realistic and address head on the, the challenges and help kids with their parent support, figure mm-hmm. out ways they're going to overcome what it is they're faced with. Yeah, because I was thinking, you know, the whole thing, like right now, you know, you have to 12 and up, of course, can get vaccinated, but the younger children will definitely have to, They, I think they're going to have the kids wear masks in school yeah. and the teachers shall be wearing masks. And I guess I'm always like, always trying to figure out what is the balance. Like, I don't think I said this on the podcast, a story about Larry knowing that, okay, yeah, I have to put on my mask because of COVID. Now he's six. So maybe sometimes younger children are more open to these things. They they get used to well, it. Well, I mean, and I, I think it, it's just kind of like how, you know, like Larry, little Larry, he, even from me, he'll take like technology from me and be like, I'll do this for you. Like he just, he grew up with this stuff. So it's just more second nature to him. Yeah. You know? And it, really, it's about the adults giving a clear, realistic message. Mm-hmm. You know, like we learn to use, you know, safety belts in our cars. Right. I mean, there was a time when nobody would do that. <laughs> yeah. And that, then look where we are now. And, that, 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 you know, there was also a time where cigarette smoking, like everybody smoked. Mm-hmm. And that they, and look at the, you know, how we've made enormous progress in people understanding about the realistic, um, downside of tobacco. Right. Things can change, mm-hmm. but it's important that the children have like a sensible understanding of of the risks of contagion for for themselves mm-hmm. going back into school, mm-hmm. and that the, the you know I'm, I'm hopeful it's going to be better than kids being. Um, online learning very little and being so bored. I definitely am not envious of people, kids who are in school. Like I just, one, I do not. I absolutely, like some people are like, oh yeah, high school were the best years of my life. And I was like, really? Like, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's well, not my experience, but I can't even imagine. Like it's hard enough, like being 24 <laughs> in COVID let alone, you know, being, you know, a child. Yeah, yeah I, I am not envious of that at all. Yeah, I know just even with Larry, basically his whole kindergarten, his first school experience was online. And that's my great nephew. We've mentioned him on and off. And 
sometimes he would do school here and I'd be like, I don't know how with, they're so little, like their attention span is but so much and there's teachers trying to get them to answer and you see the little kids, you know, in their little, you know, little square box and they're trying to pay attention. And even with my nephew, like teaching him how to write, like I'm left-handed, he's right-handed. I'm like, how do you, and I had to do the same thing with Shelby though, but it's just some of the just things, the things that teachers do, you appreciate, you know? Yeah, I don't know how I'm right-handed. Both you and, and my father are left-handed. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I just like to be confident. I know, you just wanted to be different. So, yeah. But it's just, and they do gym on, you know, you see, you know, all the gym teachers trying to get them to jump up and down and do whatever. But it's different than having that interaction. And so I think that, you know, hopefully if you can just let let the children know that this is for your protection and everyone's doing it. I mean, in Asia, they actually used to wear masks before COVID started. So I think we in the world just have to. And again, and I think because of like, like for example, kids that are like little Larry's age, I don't know if it's going to, it's as much of an issue for them because again, it's just like, oh, this is just what we do. Whereas if you're older, it's like, ah, oh, like this is a new, like a completely new thing that we now have to insert into our lives. Yeah. I feel like it might be a little less stark for someone who's younger. Mm-hmm. But then there is something to be said about, oh, it's kind of odd to have. I mean, it's not, this has not been a short period of time. I mean, in the, I guess in the grand scheme of things, it's not been too long. But I mean, let's think about it. We're still kind of in COVID right yeah. now. Mm-hmm. So Little Larry's kind of growing up in COVID. Mm-hmm. So again, while it might not be like so much of an big issue for him because he's kind of like, yeah, I wear my mask because of COVID. It's still like, man, he's growing up in COVID, you know? It sort of reminds me a little bit now that I think about it, 9-11. I will always remember like Shelby was in preschool, I think. And we just like went home and uh, you, me and your dad, we picked you up from school. Everybody was like, get your kids. And Shelby may not remember, but I just remember she was so tired. She just went to sleep, which I was glad that she wasn't watching television. Not that we probably would want her to sit there and watch all these things that are unfolding. But it's like there's some kind of healthy balance that you have to let your kids know that things happen and life is not perfect. But you also have to, it's the messaging, I guess, to to, Typ- typical of me to just be asleep. <laughs> to be asleep. No, the, the, if children are given clear, positive message from the parents, mm-hmm. you know, we teach them to not run in the street. And right. Go in front of, you know, like there's all kinds of ways that parents are, they're the straight line, but they also, I think parents are like an arrow, mm-hmm. you know, they're pointing a way forward too mm-hmm. in, in, in that. And, you know, it might be that there'll be some kids who will need their parents to take them to school for, you know, the first days of, mm-hmm. of schools opening up in September. Um, or, and they might be that the, the parents are in close contact with teachers and people in the, yeah. school, in the schools to provide support mm-hmm. um, to kids coming back. And with that, you know, we teach kids to problem solve. Like, mm. so what will happen if you don't know your way around the building? Yeah. What can you do? Who can you go to? Like, can you, asking for help from others, you know, asking for 
the you don't have to put up with a level of anxiety and worry where you're paralyzed and don't let any good input come in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are some temperaments that kids have that kind of create more protectiveness. Mm -hmm. I think that the, you know, anxious kids Mm -hmm. who are afraid of a great number of things, Mm -hmm. if their parents respond to that by, you know, well, maybe we'll look for a virtual school or, Mm -hmm. you know, let us you know, do something different so you don't have to go through mm-hmm. kind of normal challenges in your life. What that does is to create a bigger problem, really. And that the, the and you know, the book that you're talking about, mm. I think is, is written by a colleague of mine. Okay. And it's all about empowering parents to hang in there with their kid and get them to do the thing that they're afraid of right. in little steps. So a little bit like learning to swim, you know, and, and, and getting used to being in a pool. You know, a lot of little kids are really terrified of right. water. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what do you do as a parent? You get in and you hold them and you, you get them to a place where they're comfortable clinging onto you and then step by step you kind of uh you know let's see if you can be over there and we're just holding hands you know and then that the child gets used to that then you progress to the next step which is like i'm gonna let go of you for just a minute and let us see what happens Mm -hmm. and you make a game of it but it's a gradual process of in psychology it's called um, desensitization mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that the, the it's about realizing that the thing you fear uh, is something that can be overcome with gradual loving um, exposure mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know it's not like you push your kid in the deep end mm-hmm. and you swim yeah no that, I mean, that's true that would be traumatized mm-hmm. but the, the, in all kinds of ways mm-hmm. isn't that what we do as parents we help our kids to do things that they didn't think they, they could do. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can evolve them mm-hmm. if you have that approach. Yeah. Parents yeah. are very important, I think, in all of this. I think you might be the Good Influence book by Daniel R. Heisman. Mm. Yeah. That one talked a lot about that because um, it's funny you bring up swimming because both Shelby's dad and I learned to swim later in life. So we were both like convinced that we need to make sure Shelby learns how to swim. Yeah. So that's one of the things she did with her dad. I was like, I'm not doing it. You do it. <laughs> so she, she would, we had her in the toddler swim classes. Then I think, but to be honest, I think Shelby learned to swim the best when she went to camp where they swam every day. So it's something about doing things over and over that, yeah. you know, sort of help. But it's just. And now I don't, I, I'm like, I can but I would rather not. Yeah, so. but it was just important. We have to make sure she knows how to, because I think I thought about the experience of my brother. Like I learned how to swim when I was 11. My brother was like five. So he can jump in the deep end and have no problem. I still have a bit of anxiety about like swimming. Like if I have a kickboard or something, I know I can float. But I think when you experience things younger, it's it's easier. And, and one of the things I remember hearing, I don't know if it was in a book, but just this whole thing, like you were saying, Peter, of 
letting people experience. Like, you know, you, you're not going to always get invited to every party. Uh-huh. You're not going to always win all the time. So, And actually, that's really interesting because I remember it being in high school and feeling very, Peter, I don't know if you remember me talking about this, but being like very like, man, you know, feeling like I was kind of an outsider in my friend group, you know, and not like, I don't know, feeling I really didn't have like a very close like group of, of friends. And it's really funny because I literally just the other week had like a, <laughs> a, a dinner party. Well, it wasn't dinner. We just had like, you know, like finger foods and stuff because I'm definitely an adult now. I love a party. I love a spread. I love inviting mm-hmm. people over and like making like a setting. But yeah, and I have my friends from high school who like we're, I don't know, there's something about now being an adult and like, I don't know. And these are people who in high school, I might've felt like, oh, well, they're really just friends with each other. And I'm not really, you know, a part of that. And and now it's like, oh yeah, like we're, I consider them, this is like my friend group. And hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's just, again, kind of this thing that things do kind of get better and things evolve and change. And I don't know, it's, it's maybe it's also just a confidence thing and it's an adult thing. Like we all are is talking about like career things and life things and it's just different. So how did you learn that you can make friends with people and that you can have a social group? Honestly, it came from me... I think something that you've said to me multiple times, mom, is like some people are only in in your life for a season and that's okay. And just like kind of being okay with like, you know, I'm very content being a person that like, we don't, I don't have to talk to my friends every day. You know, I will be here whenever they come back to me and that's fine with me. And I think that came from like being really finally like very confident in, in myself and comfortable in where I am and what I'm doing. And, you know, not putting so much emphasis on like, you know, oh, well, if this person like doesn't respond to me, that means there's something about me. It, it, it's like now at this point, like, again, I have a couple friends who like, I'm like, you know, if I don't hear back from this person, it's not a reflection of me. They're probably do- going through some stuff. And so I'll just let them come back when they come back and I'll be yeah, here. Yeah. And, you know, mm-hmm. and that, and that's fine with me. And I have like, you know, I have people like my friend Lydia who is now in LA, which is wow, because she used to be in Brooklyn. So we were much closer, but we still talk all the time. Amber, of co- Amber, of course, I've mentioned multiple times. We don't talk every day. She's still my very best friend. I think she's in DC now. Um, but it's kind of like when everyone was so close, I felt like I was, I was constantly like feeling like I was, you know, being kept out or like feeling like I wasn't involved enough in their lives. But now that everyone's like spread out, like I have people in LA, people in DC, people in New York and like all over the country. But now I feel like, oh yeah, like it doesn't matter how far we are when we come back, we're we're cool. But presumably you found a way of changing your thinking about friends from I'm lonely, nobody likes me, you know, mm-hmm. on some level, I, I'm I'm not as good as to I can make friends. You must have had some good experiences of of making friends, mm-hmm. been able to reach out, been able to communicate with people. You know, with social media and uh, oh you know, yeah. I mean, I think that the, you know people talk about what a bad influence the internet is, and you know, it's it's like life. I mean, life is good and bad, and the internet 
can be for good or ill. We've actually uh, talked about that multiple times on yeah, this we podcast. Just, yeah, we just had a podcast about that. And, and yeah, aside from like people, like friends that I have, you know, from from high school and real quote unquote real life, like I've had, you know, partners who have I've met online and I've had, you know, friends who I've met online and that I've then met in real life. Like these are real relationships that, you know, stick with again, friends I've met through like writing communities online who like it's kind of like this gradual like you meet them online and you're just chatting because of a joint interest or whatever. But then it turns into okay, we text now. And then like it's just like you are really nurturing legitimate relationships and so that was very helpful for me i think my online community and friends Mm -hmm. like sandy mom i met sandy through writing on tumblr yeah yeah i remember that yeah and And we've had sandy come yeah pa and so yeah Yeah, yeah. so like you know it's and so that i think in that transition transitory period between like like high school and into like kind of college when I was kind of bouncing around a lot although I will say Bennington was a very played a very major role in that because I think meeting Lydia who is my very good friend she's now in LA like I said um I met her at Bennington I didn't stay at Bennington for for too long but I I keep in touch with the people I met at my house at Bennington not everyone of course again for whatever reason and sure it hurt at the time but now I'm like, you know, whenever they come back, I'll be here when it's fine. But yeah, that, I think Lydia especially was really important because she was a very good friend that I made. And I, I've kept and will keep because we're just like that close. So I think there's something to just that whole resilience topic of, you know, gaining something. And I think we started out this within yourself mm-hmm. to be able to say, you know, you, you look at things from a different perspective around, you know, thinking, okay, I'm not good enough or I don't have enough friends or I always like to say Shelby in high school was popular and she didn't know it. Cause I mean, she was doing plays. I'm she was had cer- certain things, but I think for her, like you said, not having, you always wanted that deep friendship. And I remember telling you that usually you only have a few friends, a handful where you have that really deep friendship. I, I won't say that I'm like, you know, I was popular, I, I call myself a floater because, which is, you know, again, like everyone knew me and I knew everybody else, but like, it wasn't like, I wasn't like the popular clique. I wasn't in a certain clique. I kind of, again, I floated around everyone. And I think, and in retrospect, I'm like, yeah, I think that was a good place to be and a good skill to have, to be able to kind of insert yourself in the different situations and be able to be, to adapt. But at the time it, it felt like I didn't really fit anywhere. I mean, we can't be special all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be special for your mom. You know, you can win some prizes. You can fail some things in life. But the, 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 it's good for people to have a sense of, you know, having to accept what is. Mm, you know, right. Like there to be a little, I mean, it's a little bit what happens with immunity. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the, there's a whole kind of theory that, that there are more um, allergies in our current population of kids mm. because they, they've been raised in very, very clean environments. Mm. You know, digging around in the dirt mm-hmm. actually is quite a good thing because you build some immunity. 
And that the, the I mean, there's a matter of degree. You don't want your child digging around in you know places where there's all kinds of bad things that can happen. Right. But like the world is messy, and the world is uh, such that having an immunity to kind of life is is not a good thing. Mm. I love that analogy. I'm gonna use that against Christian. Christian has a tree nut allergy, so I'm oh, like. Yeah. And he's also like such a baby about the heat and about bugs. So I, I will just say, well, you know, it's probably you just need to dig around more in the dirt and with the bugs a little bit. Well, more. But <laughs> the, I think that the, you know, what happens is that some of these things get hardwired into people's body and brain so that the, you know, it might start off with being very protected and not having much immunity, but like, your boyfriend might not be able to just shake it off. Oh, yeah, no. No, he absolutely I mean, it's a real. It becomes a real thing. Yeah. But it's interesting because I actually, now, now that you, you mention it, like I know a lot of people and it's like more and more, again, even in my age group, I realize are like allergic to a lot of different things. Like I, I know a lot of people are allergic to multiple different fruits and like just so many different things that, you know, I guess I didn't realize because I remember like in elementary school, we used to have one peanut allergy table in the cafeteria and that was kind of it. But now I kind of realize how, how much more, mm. you know, it kind of comes up. But. Yeah. Yeah. But the whole analogy of saying that, you know, you have to get exposed to some things sometime, you know, to really, really become resilient, yeah. you know, because everything is, everything is not going to be perfect. And I think as parents, it's easy to want everything to be perfect for your child. But the only way that they're going to be able to go through the ups and downs of life is to let them go through some up and downs in life. I think while we have some ability to sort of not control it, but to help them through it, yeah. you know? So, I mean, I'm struck by how we need to make room for our children to have their reactions to things. Yeah. So that they, you know, if they have upsetting things going on, we shouldn't shut them down. We should let them, you know, cry and, you know, complain and talk mm -hmm. about it and have, have their pain. Mm -hmm. But then when they've gotten through having their loved ones understand what they're suffering from, then they need to be thinking about, what, like, how can I learn from this? What can I get from this? Mm -hmm. it, in this situation moving forward, like, what could I do that would give me more tools mm -hmm. to problem solve? And yeah. you know, it be, so you don't just treat them like forever scarred by the bad things that happen. You know, the, we're all hurt by bad things. But then you can turn it around and develop a, a capacity for how you interact with the world and it's more resource. And I definitely like have to like, again, give, give both of you credit and being able to, you know, and my ability to be able to do that. But again, I think about this toolbox thing. At the time I was like, oh, this is so annoying that you keep talking to me about this toolbox. But you know, now as an adult, I think that that's really like, I think I handle things a, a lot better and I, I just don't have 
I mean, of course, like I'm not perfect and things do still affect me, especially, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, losing jobs because of COVID or whatever, or not doing, you know, as much as I wanted to be doing. And of course, you know, understanding that success is subjective and blah, 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 blah. But like at this point in my life, I feel like more and more, I just don't have the time to like let things hold me down mm-hmm. so much in part because I'm like this idea of like, well, how, okay, this thing happened. How can I move on from this? is so ingrained in my in my head now in part because of like how you were so adamant about like okay well what do we do now you know and I think I and I have to give credit to Peter for helping me understand to allow you to 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 feel the way you're going to go for the moment and you've helped me to do that too because I I mean one time you you were going through something and I found you in a certain space I'm not going to give a lot of details but it really scared me and I was like, okay, let me just sit here. Let me hold Shelby. Let me let her go through whatever this is going through. Yeah. And I remember, you know, you, Peter, sharing that, you know, just just like sometimes it's not necessarily what you say. It's not, it's just letting you go through that for the moment. It's yeah. a moment in time. It's not like forever. <laughs> well, now I'm like, what happened? When? My memory is so bad. <laughs> so so we'll have, you have to tell me about that. Yeah. So, you know. So I think, you know, we have to all go through it, even myself, you know, allow myself. I say, I'm going to take this moment, but then I'm going to move on, you yeah. know, but it's okay to take that moment. Yeah, so. there's something about um, just being able to tolerate really, really bad feelings. Yeah. You know, that you you can have bad feelings, you know, you mm-hmm. can be very depressed or mm-hmm. very frightened, and but you don't have to, like, do something to run away from it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I think as a parent we want to do. We, oh, we don't want them to feel that way. What can we do? What can we fix? Yeah. But sometimes it's not necessarily about fixing something. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's your child has to learn that it's going to be tomorrow's a better day and well, they have fact, to go through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I always think of that, that the, uh, you might feel really, really terrible in this moment. Mm. And that's often the point where people, you know, have dark thoughts and, mm-hmm. you know, drink or cut themselves or consider suicide. Mm-hmm. But, like, don't act. Don't act mm-hmm. on the basis of bad feelings. Yeah. See if there's a way of saying, can you settle yourself down and maybe be able to sleep? Chances are you might feel a little bit different tomorrow. Right. Like that. And... And when you have that sense that you can tolerate it, sometimes I think that that's the basis of of mental health. Mm-hmm. Just being able to tolerate how you feel without acting on it. Mm-hmm. And then to come back and see what you can do in the future to, you know, work around that challenge. Mm-hmm. We all have challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's so true. So I know we probably should wrap it up. We talked about a lot of different things, but I think the main focus was about being resilient and, and how we overcome those things. And I know you mentioned that I'm going to look for the book where you did a chapter on the families of Holocaust survivors. I'm, I think Tara Brack would be yeah. a good one to put on there. And I know you mentioned there, there's lots of things on the internet. I even think of TED Talks as well. as yes, No, absolutely. I would say to people, TED Talk, YouTube. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of things on YouTube. Yeah. 
you know, about building resiliency, mm-hmm. helping your child become resilient. I found one for very young children, which was like a, you know, the toy that has like a figure, but then it's on a, a, a base that's like a half sphere. Mm-hmm. So that you knock it over, but it bounces back. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that is like a wonderful, visual, playful thing that allows you to talk to your little ones mm-hmm. about being able to bounce back. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, so, you know, use those, use those resources. Um, you know, Google TED Talks, you know, about resiliency. Mm-hmm. And there's also a, an associated characteristic for good survival called grit. Okay. Like the, you know, how having grit uh-huh. is is very, very important in succeeding in life. I mean, yes, similar thing. Mm-hmm. I and I can actually someone who came to mind um, is on YouTube. A YouTuber, I might have mentioned her in the on the podcast before because I adore her. Her name is Jessica Kelgren Fozard. I don't know if you've heard of her, Peter. She's a British YouTuber. She's deaf and also disabled, and she makes vlogs about disability as well as different historical like medical things also about like the deaf community and then about her wife and like they just had a baby which is great and she talks a lot about this idea of like how can you as a disabled person like overcome various things and as someone who you know does have a a couple different you know disabilities that it does affect my life and you know and like thinking about like in the future having children she's a really awesome resource as someone who is you know you know she has this career and kind of juggling life as you know with disability and she's also like just such a positive person and on youtube so i think she's a really great resource yeah, see, um, seeking out uh, role models mm-hmm. people you admire you know like tammy duckworth you know yeah tammy duckworth like that mm-hmm. he would you know an amazing capacity to kind yeah. of come through what she suffered. And, mm. You know, like John Lewis, like John Lewis, how did he manage to, as a young man, have such prominence in mm-hmm. the civil rights movement and then spend his whole life causing, you know, good trouble? Mm-hmm. Like, how did he do that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can borrow from other people. Mm-hmm. You might not have a parent who can give you what you need. Mm-hmm. And that they, they that we're we're creatures of survival. Yeah. Look in the world that you have. You know, maybe there's a teacher who can give you a sense of possibility. Mm-hmm. Like the I mean I I I think of people who've influenced me mm-hmm. and some of it has been incredibly random. <laughs> yeah. I mean I had I used to hitchhike. When I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and I had a ride coming through Switzerland, going into Italy. Terrifying, Peter. I just have to put that, <laughs> put that out there. But it wasn't back then. I know. <laughs> the, 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 I got a ride by this woman who was, you know, multilingual and really inspiring person. And I spent maybe two or three hours in the car with her. Mm-hmm. And she is like bedded into my foundation mm-hmm. about how to be, you know, so that the look to where you can borrow from people mm-hmm. and weave it together for yourself. 
That's what we can do when we're adults. Mm-hmm. The children, I mean, we're, we're more dependent on the people around us doing that. And that's where, you know, you were talking about love. And I love that. I don't know if it's a Weebles wobble, but that toy is such oh, yeah. a good example of that. Yeah. You know, they don't fall down. You can, you know, you go and it comes back up. So yeah. all those kind of examples. And I think as parents, we also have to show ourselves some grace. And that's probably why I shared the shovel story. You don't, you know, we're going to make mistakes along the way. I guess there's no exact book you can read of how to be a good parent, yeah. you know. Well, that's why, mom, I'm I'm very, and I try and make sure that I, and I still don't think I do this enough for both you and mama, especially, but like, I I try and as much as I can to, to be like, yeah, yeah, you know what, mom, you're really, I'm very grateful for you and for how you, you know, so open and willing to be in dialogue with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, your mom is a wonderful Wonderful person. Yes, I absolutely, I agree. So <laughs> rolling, 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 rolling. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying, you know, yeah. I like to be in, I, and I guess I'm a learner, I'm a teacher at heart, so uh, I love to take these things in. And as Shelby said, we don't always agree, but I try to be open and she tries to be open to me as well. Uh, so it's been great. And and Peter, you are a fascinating person. We may, I know, I, like I, so I, many I, casual I, things just like <laughs> dropped in. Yeah, like I was like, wow, okay. And I always say this to all my guests, we'll have to have you back, Peter, to talk <laughs> about just like your road trips. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, that'd be cool. <laughs> and what you learned, you yeah. know, a hitchhike, the hitchhiking episode. I like that. You know? <laughs> that this is very good training for life. Yeah. You know, of, of feeling like, you have to go out and connect with people. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're, I mean, I was kind of an anxious teenager, but mm-hmm. it, by necessity, uh-huh. I, I needed to talk with people and make friends along the way, mm-hmm. out of which came all kinds of great experiences. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you kind of learn that the, the, it's the reaching out and, you know, being able to take from the world around you so yeah. that you can continue to grow. Mm-hmm. I bet that taught you some uh, resilience too. Yeah. <laughs> going, going through that. So, yeah. So this has been a really good experience, and I, I'm sure that people will, you know, get some encouragement as parents and as young people, and um, just keep going. And keep going. yep, yep. Keep you know, love your kids. Know that. They're not perfect and you're not perfect and we'll get, get through. They'll get through it. Yeah. And the last thing I'll end on, I just thinking about it is like recently I've been thinking a lot about how like, like this, we mentioned it a couple of times before, like things do, do get better. And I know at some, sometimes it is kind of like cliche, but for anyone who's maybe younger listening, like I've been thinking a lot about how one of the, the things that I've been like working through at this point in my life as someone who's, you know, 24 and in a committed relationship and you know thinking about career things and life things it's like this idea that man there was a point in my life where I was like I didn't I didn't think that I would get here like to this point and now like really meditating on this idea like man that I'm here and that I have years more years so it really is this like things do grow and things do like get you you will get where where you're going you might not know where that is but but you'll get there so yeah i just wanted to throw that out there because i think you know in part it does have a lot to do with like you know this idea of resiliency 
even if you're not thinking about it in the moment. But yeah, like looking back, it's like in my head, I'm like, wow, like how, how awesome is it that I am able to like continue on this journey? And I have to, you know, give props to like, you know, the people who I've, you know, who have helped me out along the way Mm -hmm. to get me to a place where I I genuinely don't think that I was going to get to. But it's like uh, throw a a stone in in the lake, you know, the, the... the ripples kind of mm-hmm. spread and like the the so you having that realization you know allows you to be a resourceful person to other people and right. you know i've only been able to have an influence in my life because i've had lots and lots of help and mm-hmm. encouragement and and input from other people like the the you know it goes back to what Tara Brack says, you know, the survival is about survival of the nurtured. Make mm-hmm. sure that you seek your own nurturance mm-hmm. and you can give and then you will receive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where it comes into the children because we have to help our children to get their toolbox and to be able to seek their own nurturing when you're not around. Yeah. So you have to help them. Laura, get to that, please. And let your parents help you. Because <laughs> again, I remember distinctly, my, like I said, my memory isn't great, but I remember being like going through this like journey when I was younger and being so annoyed that you kept bringing up this toolbox idea. But it really is like definitely helped we me out. Have, we should interview your mom about how she has been able to be so resilient. <laughs> yeah, I think she that'd be, be a, a good... Like, a good podcast idea. She's probably too modest. I was about to say, yeah, she's not going to, yeah. Yeah, well, we're always looking for new ideas. Yeah, so. Natural people. Yeah, well, I try. And honestly, mom, I, I joke because, not that I'm like super into like astrology or whatever, but <laughs> I always like tell my mom, I was like, you're such a Leo. Like, because she is so like, you won't lose like any sort of like, it will still be about you. The podcast will still be your podcast. You'll just be on the other end of it. You'll just be the subject instead of the host. You know, so so it's a win-win, no matter what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to maybe do a podcast and we question each other. So. Again, like I'm not going to bring any questions though. I know. You know, I, I know you won't. So yeah, you'll never prepare. But that's okay. You don't need to. You're a natural as. As I say, people like you as the antagonists on the show. But anyway, until next time, this actually ends our second series of 12. So we have done 24 podcasts by now, which is amazing. And we'll start our next series of 12 when we get back from Paris. So yeah, I, yeah. have a wonderful time in Paris. Yeah, I'm sure we will. We'll let the audience know. Okay. <laughs> Until next time, stay safe, well, and be blessed. Bye.